This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten, and in this episode we're going to be talking about an interesting topic that's being researched more and more, which is mathematics specialists. These are people who have expertise in mathematics instruction, and they can be teacher leaders or they can be math coaches. And a lot of research has started to build up around elementary mathematics specialists, including here at the University of Missouri with me. But there's also some studies that are going on and are now publishing articles about middle school mathematics specialists, and that's going to be the topic for this episode. I am joined by Amy Ellington, who's an associate professor and the director of mathematics outreach in the Department of Mathematics and Applied Mathematics at Virginia Commonwealth University. Amy, thanks so much for being here. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. We're going to be talking about Amy's article that she wrote with Joy Whitenack and David Edwards, and it's available now in the Journal of Mathematical Behavior. It's called Effectively Coaching Middle School Teachers, A Case for Teacher and Student Learning. But Amy, before we get to that article, I always like to put people on the map and get a little bit of their academic background on the record. So I was wondering where you did your grad studies and with whom did you work there? I got a master's degree at the University of North Texas in mathematics, and then I worked on my PhD at the University of Tennessee with um, Donald Dessart. And at that time, my uh, research area was actually um, meta-analysis. I did a couple of calculator-based meta-analyses, and oh. that was how I got started in, in math ed. That's great. Yeah, I'm sure there's still lots of interest in that, it's, and calculators have now grown to just be lots of digital tools, but that's still an area that we kind of need to synthesize the research and sort of see what the research says about using those kinds of tools. Yes, and especially with the growth and change in technology, I think there's a lot of other technological aspects that our studies are being done on and could be also researched with meta-analysis that, that would be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and because there's just so much information out there and there's a lot of research that's happening about things like technology and cutting-edge innovations in mathematics teaching, this is maybe one of the reasons that we need mathematics specialists because there's just so much it's hard for scholars, let alone uh, classroom teachers, to keep up on all of it. So with that topic of mathematics specialists, you have this middle school study, and I was wondering how the collaboration began to look at middle school mathematics specialists. So um, when I first came to VCU in 2001, I was fortunate enough to be able to join with a group that was already here, led by Bill Haver and Reuben Farley, who were collaborating with a bunch of schools across the state, um, including the University of Virginia and Norfolk State University, to start thinking about what a math teacher leader would look like and what kind of role that they would play in the schools. You know, at the time, there was a lot of push for an interest in reading specialists, but there wasn't a whole lot of work in terms of doing something similar in mathematics. And through these collaborations in the state, um, the group that I was fortunate enough to be involved with developed a definition for a math specialist as being a full-time person in the building to support teachers in their understanding of the concepts and then also allow them to 
think about the best pedagogical practices for working with students and, and hopefully help students better understand concepts and then of course help improve their um, student achievement scores and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that's where it started and it actually did start with elementary math specialists. You mentioned that in, in your intro. Mm -hmm. That a lot of work started with in those early years with those groups and it started first with developing a, a preparation program for these teachers and at this point in Virginia there are preparation programs at many of the major universities and based on those early collaborations, those programs are all very, very similar. They have the same five um, math course foundation and three education leadership courses as well as an externship project, then some electives that different universities have added in. But I think it's really great that, that VCU was able to collaborate with institutions across the state to build a program that is similar and has a similar format across a bunch of universities and also um, meets the state requirements for an endorsement to a teaching license so that these people have credibility to be in the schools to be doing this work as coaches and um, have a very, very similar um, preparation for doing that work. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that math specialists are full-time positions and they're helping to lead the pedagogy and work with teachers and that hopefully there's some sort of connection to the student achievement at the school. But I was wondering, what's the range of variables that you tackled with your middle school study here, um, looking at the way that the math specialists might use their time or you know, how did you conceptualize the student achievement that hopefully there's some sort of relationship to? Yeah, so this this particular um, study that you're referring to was funded by a grant from the National Science Foundation. It was actually the um, fourth in a group of, of NSF grants that, that we had to work on this. And through sort of each iteration of those grants, we refined the the research approach, the research method, and I think it got sort of better and better as, as those different grants developed. It was quite a large-scale study, meaning that we were collecting data across a, a large number of schools, and um, we were fortunate enough to be able to use student achievement data um, based on the high-stakes tests that, that students in Virginia take across the state. And then we also wanted this sort of qualitative component mm -hmm. to support what we thought we would see through the quantitative results or, or shed more light on them, I would be a better way to say it, on those quantitative results and mm -hmm. pull out maybe some of the reasons we were seeing what we were seeing in those quantitative results. So we had these two aspects of, of our um, study and the treatment control piece with the student achievement data lasted two years. We collected that data for two years. It was a time when the specialist was placed in the schools, in our, in our treatment schools for two years and there was no specialist in the control school for comparison purposes. And during that time, we also went out and observed what these people were doing in the schools, interviewed them in the schools and their principals and the teachers that they were working with to get at that on-the-ground aspect 
of what we could see was actually happening. And during that, the specialists were also documenting their time with how they were spending their time. We had an, an iPad app mm -hmm. that we had built where they had a, several different categories that they would fill out um, into how they were spending their time. Were they, were they coaching teachers? Were they working with individual students? Were they leading grade level team meetings? Were they delivering workshops? Um, and so they documented their whole day from when, whenever they started, which would often be before the school day began, until they ended their work in the evening, which was often after the school day ended, they documented their time that they spent in these different categories. And that was a really um, interesting mm -hmm. set of data to look at to track what exactly they were doing throughout the day. So those were the kinds of variables that, w that we looked at. Yeah, and it's interesting too just to get a sense of you know, this position that people maybe aren't as familiar with as they are with classroom teachers. Like a lot of us, we feel like we have a pretty good sense of how a classroom teacher spends their day and what they need to do and their demands that are pulling on them. But the math specialists, you know, I feel like I'm still learning about what, what the demands are on them and how they spend their day. And so to see the breakdown, and there was variation, you know, not every specialist was the same in how they spent their day, but some of them are planning things to do with teachers. Some of them are spending a lot of time with the teachers or in teacher team meetings. Some of them are still teaching in the classroom. There's some illustrations of co-teaching that would happen between the specialist and the classroom teacher. For me, at least, it was good to uh, see this range of, oh, this is, this is basically how they're operationalizing their position as a math coach or as a math teacher leader. Yes, exactly. And it was very interesting. So there's there's a lot of emphasis placed on the coaching aspect of these individuals, and it is extremely important. But it's amazing to me, so we found on average that specialists were spending about 15% of their time actually engaged in coaching with teachers, but they were also spending about 25% of their time preparing to do that, mm -hmm. uh, preparing to go in and coach with with teachers so it's a nice amount of time 40 percent of what they're doing is is in that in that coaching work and that is up from previous studies that we have done i think that over the years through this work and the work that's gone on in other states re regarding math coaching and and specialists Principals understand better how to, to use specialists and how they can have the most impact and are, are allowing them to spend their time doing those things that are make them have the greatest benefit to, to students. Mm -hmm. One other thing that the coaches would do is they would look at data um, from the students in their district and you know use that to make decisions or to inform what they want to do with the teachers. And so I was going to ask you, just when you're looking at all this data, let's start on the quantitative side. What were the main insights that you gained from looking at the quantitative data and doing your quantitative analysis? So we, we started by, by looking at the overall group of high-stakes student achievement test scores that we had and just to try to see if having a specialist in the building had an impact on those scores. And we found that having a specialist in the building for two years did not have an impact on student achievement just by the specialist being there, just mm -hmm. by them being in the building. So you haven't found this, this silver bullet that's just going to fix all our problems? There you go. No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we wish, but nope, unfortunately we haven't. Um, 
And so what we did was we looked back at that, um, some of the data that we were collecting with that, that iPad app that I mentioned earlier. And another thing that the, the specialist recorded as they were going throughout their day, not just how they spent their time, but they also recorded the type of interactions that they had with teachers in the building. Mm. They had interactions both on an individual, um, just two individuals meeting and talking about mathematics, and then they also had interactions in team-based methods because the specialist was often in grade-level teams, whether they were leading those meetings or not. Often they were, they were not. There was a, a math lead leading them, but the coach was still in the in the meeting. And so the the specialist was recording what kind of interactions they had and. The interactions that were more positive with the coach, where in other words, where a, an individual would seek out the specialist for help or um, serve as a support for other teachers in the building, and then during team meetings would fully participate in those meetings and perhaps help to organize their math uh, teacher colleagues in, in some sort of work. These kinds of individuals we described as being highly engaged with the specialist. And when we looked at the student achievement scores for individuals that were categorized as highly engaged, mm -hmm. this is where we saw a big change in student achievement. Teachers that were actively and highly engaged with the specialist, their students had higher student achievement scores in grades uh, 6 and 7 when compared with teachers who were not highly engaged with the specialist. Mm -hmm. so And we, we don't necessarily know the causality direction there, but that, that's where you found more of a relationship that was at least, you know, discernible from the data. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it, we did not have that same thing with um, grade 8 or with Algebra 1, since Algebra 1 is taught in middle schools here in Virginia and lots of students take Algebra 1 in middle school. Um, but we also know from our work of going in and the, the qualitative aspect of our study, we know that our specialists were encouraged by principals most frequently to work with grades 6 and 7. That's where they felt like they, those teachers needed the most help from specialists. So that's where they were doing most of their work. Mm -hmm. So speaking of the qualitative data, I did want to ask you too, what were the insights that you feel like were really gained from looking at the qualitative data? So the qualitative data was very interesting. It was really interesting to be on the, on the ground, seeing what these individuals were doing, especially after getting in information about how they were documenting their day, to then go back behind and be able to see them actually doing those things was really, really fascinating. And we found that specialists were most effective if they had total support from the principal. If the principal was completely on board as having this individual as their sort of co-leader for the math program, working with the principal to, to develop a vision for mathematics for the school and then implementing that vision. And then if they were able to go through all aspects of the coaching cycle with teachers, then they had more impact. Um, we've been doing these kinds of observations in schools for 12 years, and I'd say that we see a lot of coaches, especially when they're early in their experience, 
that are really comfortable with modeling lessons for teachers and, and co-teaching lessons with teachers. But they have a hard time, and it's a lot of it's based on the fact that the school day is busy for everybody, for mm -hmm. teachers and for, for coaches. They have a hard time getting that pre-conference part of the coaching cycle, mm -hmm. doing that before before modeling and co-teaching, and then the debrief afterwards, you know, talking about what worked well and what they should change the next time. Mm -hmm. These are the aspects that are, are harder to implement. We found that coaches who were able to implement that whole coaching cycle had, had greater success with their teachers in helping them make changes to their practice and, and understand mathematics better as well. I'm speaking with Amy Ellington from Virginia Commonwealth University about her article in the Journal of Mathematical Behavior, Volume 46. That article is Effectively Coaching Middle School Teachers. So, Amy, I was wondering, with regard to mathematics specialists, now that you've been looking at this for years and years, not just this one study, but you've really had a lot of time to think about it and look carefully at the data, what are you hoping to see in practice? Are there some recommendations that you would like to see enacted? Are there some positive things that you want to see you know, flourish and spread? And then also, what are you hoping to see in future research? Is there something that we really need to tackle? Is there a burning question that we really need to answer next so that we can move forward as a field? With regard to your first question, what would I hope to see in practice? I certainly would like to see more more specialists implement that, that whole complete coaching cycle and, and do that more effectively. I'd mm -hmm. also like to see what other strategies and methods different coaches, successful coaches, find most useful for, for working with teachers, for getting teachers on board. We found that that first year in the building is really a, a building year for, for the coach, getting to know the teachers in the building, building that rapport is really important for then being able to be successful in, in future years. So also, I know that money is tight, certainly is tight here in Virginia and, and across other states, but being able to, pl to place specialists and, and allow them to be in a school for multiple years so that they can build that rapport and then also build on that rapport um, is really important. Mm -hmm. And it seems like part of the rapport, and this is from the article, is the shared beliefs. And there is uh, some illustrations in the article about a specialist having a certain kind of beliefs about math education and not quite aligning with a particular teacher, but then over time they sort of got on the same page and like, oh, I see what the specialist is going for. And then some of the teachers would kind of move in their beliefs, if not necessarily their complete practice. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's another thing that, that it's important to have time for that to happen, for a specialist to be able to make an impact on teachers' beliefs about how mathematics should be taught and learned. That's, that's something that takes time, and that's certainly what we, we found in this study. Mm -hmm. On the research side, is there anything that you're looking for in the future? I would love to see a a longitudinal study, a, a longer-term study um, than just two years. I think we would have seen more impact in terms of achievement and across more grades if we had had if we were able to gather another year's worth of data. Um, so I'd love to see that down the road. 
I'd love to see um, more benefits of collaborations across math specialists and math coaches being able to work together and think about ideas on how to how to be effective mm -hmm. in Virginia. We have a a very active um, math specialist organization. It's it's statewide, mm -hmm. and I'd love to see more more of those kinds of things come up across the country and how they can help specialists as they do their work and be more effective. Yeah, I imagine it's very easy for a specialist to feel like they're kind of on an island and they're they're the only one doing their kind of thing in their building or even in their district, maybe. Right. Well, Amy, thanks so much for talking about your work. I refer everybody to the article in the Journal of Mathematical Behavior, Volume 46. And before I let you go, I have one question that I always like to ask at the end, and this is goes back to my friend Aaron Brackenecki in grad school. He uh, came up with this as far as I know. It's a great question. But if you were not in mathematics and mathematics education, what could you imagine yourself doing as an alternative career? So that's a great question. My my answer isn't all that super exciting, but um, <laughs> it's probably the one that's the most true, which is that before I got into math um, as my career, I I worked at IBM for a year as a computer programmer. Okay. And so I'd probably still be programming something um, <laughs> at some place like that if I wasn't doing this, but. Um, you think I, there's still a need for programmers? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. No, yeah, yeah, that goes back to our comment from the beginning uh, with the calculators and now all these technologies, and it comes right back around here at the end that definitely a lot of work to be done there. Oh, absolutely, yep. Lots more of interesting questions in that area as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks so much, and uh, I really am glad to talk to you about this work that is uh, so important, and it's really, I think, a growing field of research where we are starting to figure some things out. So thanks for doing that. Thanks for inviting me. This has been really fun. Thank you for listening to the Math Ed Podcast, and next month we are going to be celebrating the 100th episode of the podcast. So to mark that occasion, I want to have a special episode and I'm asking for your help. What I'd like you to do is think about an article or a book of math education scholarship that has been especially meaningful to you. Maybe it inspired your teaching practice, maybe it inspired you to become a researcher, or maybe you emulated the methodological approach in the article. Maybe it completely changed the way that you see math education or that you see the world. If you have a special article or book like that, and it can be recent or it can be an ancient classic or anywhere in between, I'd love for you to be part of the 100th episode. What I want to do is collect and share a lot of people's favorite, most meaningful articles and books from math education. So if you want to be involved, all you have to do is two simple things. Make a one to four minute recording, introducing yourself, and then explaining why that resource is so meaningful to you. Then send that audio file in any format and the citation information for your article or book to me at ottensa at missouri.edu. That's ottensa at missouri.edu. Um, I'm asking for these by October 10th so that I can compile it and release the 100th episode in October. So that's by 1010, a little bit after PMENA. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you. That's one to four minutes sent to ottensa at missouri.edu by October 10th.